Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. A series of honest conversations about opportunities, challenges, and joy in ministry today. These episodes are inspired by interactions with ministry leaders from across the country. As they explore possibilities, learn from broad perspectives, take risks, and cultivate candid discussions that generate disruptive creativity. Hello, friends. I am Jennifer Watley-Maxell, and I am here with my friend, Nicole Massey-Martin. She is the founder and executive director of Soulfire Ministries, and she is also the senior vice president of Ministry Impact at the American Bible Society. And I am just thrilled to have her here. Like me, she's a mother, and she's also a wife, and she's also on a ministerial staff at a church. So she wears many, many hats, and I am just thrilled to have her here. Hey, Nicole, welcome. Hey, Jennifer, I'm so glad to be here. I am so glad to have you here. And one of the reasons why I really wanted to interview you today is because like me, you wear multiple hats in terms of your professional life, in terms of your personal life. And you are also someone who's navigating these ministry waters from so many different vantage points. With your work at American Bible Society, as well as Soul Fire Ministries, you are in connection with so many pastors and so many clergy. And we've been talking about institutional viability here at the Ministry Collaborative. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we just cannot seem to get away from is not only is this an apocalyptic time in terms of what God is revealing, but it's an extremely jarring and traumatic time as well. And our clergy are navigating so many intersections of that as well. What have you been seeing in the many places Mm -hmm. that you occupy? Thanks for asking. I'm so glad that you have this platform because I think prior to the pandemic, we would see these types of platforms as luxuries. If I'm on my way someplace, I'll just listen in. But now we're in a season where this type of platform, these conversations are vital for the success of the individual and the institution and for the success of the church. Mm -hmm. So I actually read an article. It was early in 2020. This is when the girls were home and we were doing the homeschool thing, air quotes, Lord help us. And thank you, God, for deliverance. Yes. And I read an article that said the great divide has widened in education. Mm. So those who had a parent who could work from home an educated parent, a parent who could come alongside and say, stay focused on the screen, let's do your homework, provide a little bit more direction, those students excelled, Mm. like did better than their grade level. Mm -hmm. Those students who had to be home while taking care of other kids, who didn't have a parent in the house because a parent couldn't get off of work, those students decreased far more severely than they would have. Wow. And I'm saying this because in many ways, the same divide is true for the church. Mm. So... Online, those churches that had some type of online ministry already prior to pandemic, Mm -hmm. that were leaning into virtual communities prior to pandemic, they started to soar. They saw numbers go up. They saw tithes and offerings go up. The pastors of those types of churches actually started saying, I feel better Mm -hmm. because all I have to do is record and then I've got the rest of my week. Those churches who had to build websites in the pandemic, Mm -hmm. who had to start an online ministry, I'll never forget, I was uh, invited to speak at a church in pandemic, and after getting over all of my anxieties about preaching at that church, I remember walking in, and they had an older woman with her phone on a tripod teaching Sunday school. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, this is the innovation of the church. And some churches, this is when they started. 
Like mm-hmm. they never had anything prior to this time. Mm-hmm. So there's a big, big divide. There's an institutional divide, those who were able to do web-based services and those who were not. But then there's also a personal divide. Yes. Those who were connected mm-hmm. to some type of community and those who were not. Mm-hmm. And the way that they're thriving is very, very different. I really appreciate you pointing out that divide. And I love the fact that you connected the personal to the institutional. Because I think one of the things that to me I see has happened prior to pandemic, and I've said it before, is that we privilege the vocation of ministry. We privilege the church so much. But one of the things that we are seeing is that because of that, there were so many clergy who really started suffering Mm -hmm. in the pandemic from isolation, from loneliness, burnout, exhaustion, because again, all the resources and wherewithal went toward the ministry and trying to keep the church going and trying to figure out all of those things you mentioned. How do we get online? How do we do a website? All of that. And then not really having that same attention to their own personal spiritual formation, personal growth, and really self-care. And I think self-care is one of those things that we kind of throw around and Mm -hmm. people think, okay, I'm going to take a day off. I'm going to go get a massage. I'm Mm going to go, you know, do one of these weekend retreat things and I'll be fine. Mm -hmm. But really that's not enough. Yeah, that's right. And it seems like we need to be really anchoring deeply into what does it look like to care for the souls of clergy? What does it look like to care for the soul of the church? And with that is a certain care for the relationship with God for the leader. There are a couple of examples that kind of stood out to me about this kind of tale of COVID on leaders. One was the inception of the virtual funeral. And for clergy members, there is a certain practice that we learn pretty early on in ministry, and that is this beautiful practice of being silent and present with those who grieve and mourn. Mm -hmm. So we learn when we show up for a grieving family what it means to sit still. I had a rabbi uh, tell me the other day, we had a loss of a dear friend at ABS, and he said, Nicole, I'm talking to you by phone, but this isn't my practice. In Jewish tradition, in Orthodox tradition, we sit for 10 days. We just sit with you. Mm. And we come and we sit in your house quietly for about 10 days, 10 or 15 minutes. And he said, we just want you to know that in your suffering, God is present and Mm. we don't have to have words. Mm. And I thought, you know, they're trying to reenact the good parts of Job's friends, the first quiet days. Yes. But when the virtual funeral happens, you are forced to lean on unnatural ways of comforting others in grief. You Mm -hmm. have to lean on words. You have to lean on screens. You have to figure out how not to touch. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are pastors who had loved ones weeping and crying, but because of COVID protocols, could not touch, could not hug, Mm -hmm. could not just sit quietly, couldn't share a meal. So that part has affected the pastor. And then on the other side, there's a kind of commodification of the pastor during COVID. Mm. So I remember I was working on the state of the black church with Barna, and I had this great interview with Pastor Charlie Dates in Chicago, really amazing pastor. And I was like, so how has, you know, all of this affected you? And he said, it's really weird because before I always knew that people would take some of the things I said out of context. Now everyone is watching online and listening online. And it's like every single thing I say is scrutinized because I'm not just preaching to my context. Mm -hmm. I'm not just preaching to my church. I can't just say, come on, y'all, you know what I mean. Right. Everything in 2020 was for the whole world. Mm -hmm. So he's like, I feel the pressure 
of having to say everything right. And it's exhausting. Yes. So another example that I have, there are some pastors that were kind of pre-COVID feeling like they were just commodities. Their congregations wouldn't give when the pastor didn't preach. Mm -hmm. They didn't show up if the pastor wasn't there. So now you've got pressure of COVID and they have to show up and be there every single Sunday because the one Sunday they get a guest preacher in, then everything goes down. Yeah. So they feel all this pressure to be present. And the question is, what is happening in your relationship with God that will sustain you, both when you feel like a commodity and when you can't lean on the practices that you used to lean on to show the presence of God to other people? One of the things that I remember in the early days when everybody was kind of hopping online, yeah. you know, everybody's just out here hopping online, trying to figure it out. Facebook, yes. you know, YouTube, whatever. That's and, right. you know, we've got people's alarms going off in the background yes. and kids running through <laughs> and, you know, wives coming in the room, husbands exactly. in the middle, because we're just yeah. trying to figure it out. But yeah. at the same time, there was also this spirit of critique, I'll call yes. it, in the kingdom where it started to be like every Monday on Facebook, mm. there would be all these people who would get online and critique all of yes. these services and yes. people that they had watched over the weekend. Yeah. And you started to see posts like five things not to do. Mm. Pastors, if you're doing this in your sermon, just stop. Yeah. And then yeah. after George Floyd and all that, then the whole racial mm -hmm. reconciliation yes. and racial reckoning started. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden it became this scrutiny of content. That's right. Are you woke enough? Yes. Are you black enough? Yes. Is your rhetoric yes. justice oriented or not? And if it's not, then mm -hmm. there's a critique of that. Mm -hmm. And so I agree with you that there were already some things that were happening, yeah. but then the pandemic brought all of these, what I'll call kind of hidden mm -hmm. traumas mm -hmm. and hidden pressures yes. that we never really named. Yes. And I don't think we ever really talked about. That's and right. yet the impact of them on our bodies yeah. and on our psyches yeah. is so real. I remember with my church at one point, it was my Sunday to preach and I was crafting my message. And, mm -hmm. you know, whereas normally I would spend say six to eight hours, mm -hmm. this sermon was taking me like 14 hours. Like yeah. I had been working on it yeah. like all day, all week, it felt yeah. like. And my husband was just like, but you preach all the time. What is it? And mm -hmm. what I realized was that I was preparing myself mm -hmm. for all of these voices and mm -hmm. critiques. And so I kept editing yeah. and re-editing yes. because I didn't want anybody to say it wasn't this <laughs> exactly. enough. And I didn't want anybody to say it was too hopeful. Yes. And I wasn't anchoring in the tension and, yes. you know, all of these things. And I think there are a lot of us that have felt that not just yes. from congregations, but other clergy. Absolutely. The ways that we have not been supportive of one another and haven't shown up yeah. for each other. Yeah, that's so true. And it's funny how this does affect the institution of the church. So when you're talking about viability, every single time a pastor struggles publicly, it has a ripple effect on the church. So when one pastor falls, during quarantine, there was a pastor who committed suicide. You know, there are churches that closed. There are pastors who stepped down. There were indiscretions that were maximized. Every single time that happens in one part of the kingdom, it's like a ripple effect across the board. Mm -hmm. So now I got to deal with all my stuff and then I have to defend the gospel and defend the church and defend myself. And oh my gosh, by the way, I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to, and I'm also still grieving. And you know, this is a sermon that I would love to preach for a small group of 20 people when we can just be free and open. Right. This is not a sermon that I want to preach for 20,000 people who may view it. And then God forbid I go online and see how many views and likes I have. Wait, Lord, or don't have. Jesus. <laughs> yes. I remember one time during quarantine, 
I saw the thumbs down. Yeah. I couldn't get over it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my husband's so wise. He's like, if you don't have any thumbs down, then it wasn't the gospel. Jesus right. would have had thumbs down. <laughs> it sounds <laughs> like, good. <laughs> who were those people? What did I say? Right. Was it me? Was it something I said? Do, do I need to go yes. back through it? And to your point, the next time you go to prepare a sermon, all those things are in yes. your mind and it can be so hard. Yeah. And I think that's one of those reasons why I feel like now is a great opportunity for us to really look at the cultures of belonging that we are creating. Yes. And we've done so much talking about innovation, reimagination, yeah. creating a new, what is God doing? God is reimagining, creating a fresh. Mm. But what does it require? What do clergy require? What mm -hmm. do our institutions require mm -hmm. in this moment to meet the challenge of this day and this moment, yeah. but also to lay the groundwork mm -hmm. for sustainability? Mm -hmm. Because I do think that we're in a moment where we're realizing that some of the things that we have done and some of the ways that we have performed church in the past yeah. Will no longer be tenable. Mm -hmm. And so what are some of the things that we can take forward to make sure that what we're doing is planting seeds that will be sustainable in the future? Yeah, that's a great question. I was thinking about this recently because I'm opening my heart and my mind more to what God is doing globally across the global South in particular, where the church is growing mm -hmm. and where Christianity is really growing. And the average age of a Christian, if you count all of the African countries and all of this kind of sub-Saharan church, the average Christian is a young African woman. Mm. This is the average profile of Christian. Wow. So when you start to dig into, well, what is her demographic? What does her community look like? For me, there are two major elements that I think the church, the American church needs today. One is humility. Mm. And the second is desperation. Mm. So on the point of humility, this is a time when authenticity means at times apology, Yes. At times, repentance, mm -hmm. at times, acknowledging where we are not strong. And I long for the church, the American church, to get to that place of humility. And the sad thing is you would think that a pandemic would bring us as leaders and believers yes. to our knees to say, Lord, I am sorry mm -hmm. for the ways that I missed it, for the ways that I did it wrong, for the times that I was so proud and telling somebody to move on without sitting still and listening to their pain. But a lot of churches have not right. gotten to that point. We've become more prideful in this season. Mm -hmm. And then when you look at, again, it doesn't take much travel or experience to recognize when you see a church where people line up in the rain just to hear the word of God, there's a certain desperation yes. that drives them to Jesus. And when they get into the church, they do not want to hear your rhetoric. They could care less about your political stance. They really don't even care how many of the examples are all about you. They just want Jesus. Yes. And I, I believe that the Bible demonstrates and the early church demonstrates for us the best way that we can grow is with a desperate yearning for God. Mm -hmm. And every person that had a dramatic life-changing encounter with Jesus had a desperation that they couldn't qualify and they recognized there's no place else I can go. Yeah. The pandemic has set the atmosphere where there's a desperation. We did a study in uh, the pandemic about trauma and it was something like more than 60% of all people who were surveyed that were not Christians mm. would go to a church for healing if resources were available. Wow. 
Wow. We have the time right now to be the place of healing. But do the people in the community even know that they can encounter a healing Christ at our church? Yes. Or do they just feel like they can encounter someone who looks nice on social media? Yeah. But I do think that's important. It's very important. And, you know, one of the things that I always say, scripture is replete with instances of healing. And yes. that is something that we do not engage right. enough in the American church, That's I right. believe that there are rich spiritual resources yep. for us to draw on. Mm -hmm. And at a time when the world does desperately, mm -hmm. as you say, mm -hmm. need healing, mm -hmm. that this is a moment for us, an opportunity. And my yes. fear is that too many of us are still trying to call people to our churches yes. instead of calling people to the person Jesus exactly that we're supposed right. to be calling That's people exactly to. Right. And again, this is why I go back to the, the inner life of the leader. You have to have your own desperation for God. Yes. You have to have your own experience of healing. It is very hard to pour out to people what you don't have. Mm -hmm. And the humility part says, if I'm exhausted, if I have nothing else to give, if I feel distant from God, it is okay for me to call on someone else to fill in and minister to me yes. so that I can do my job. Yes. I think yep. that's so incredibly powerful. And in that, the need for community, yes, for clergy, so mm -hmm. that you have someone to call on. Yes, there are right. so many clergy that I have spoken to who recognize this need and they want to take a break, yeah. but they feel that they don't even have people mm. that they can call in, that they can, in good consciousness, yes. allow yes. in their pulpit. And, you know, that they feel safe and trusting That's in that right. space. And so I think undergirding that is the need for us to work on our own relationships That's right. with one another and to make sure that we're coming alongside each other, even as we are coming alongside of those in our congregations mm -hmm. and those in our communities. Yes. Well, it has been a wonderful, such a rich conversation. Always love when we get a chance to chat and catch up. So thank you so much for um, joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. A project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation. The Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Our producer is Marthane Sanders. To find out more about our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org.